and welcome back to AR Sales, aka the ARC Podcast. I am AR Mina Violent. Today, I am joined by Lena Amargo. She is the author of The Children of Lear, New Adult Fantasy. She calls it Romantasy. First time I've ever seen that. So the term has been coined. It is official throughout the ART podcast family now. Romantasy author of many works. And she is actually the head of the Silver Wheel Press that does fantasy anthologies. Finding more and more out about everything. Without any further ado, how are you doing today, Lena? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy. Well, one thing that I always immediately just hop into is how did the love of writing start for you? Was it more of a reading turn writing thing or was it in reverse somehow? Absolutely a reading turned writing thing. Um, I read since I was really, really little. My grandmother actually taught me to read before I even went to school. Um, and so books were always a part of my life. And then eventually I was like, maybe I should try this myself. And it went from a hobby to something that I really was passionate about and about college. And now we're here. Now, that actually is a little interesting to me because the same thing happened to me that I had always loved reading, but it didn't turn into mm-hmm. writing until very end of my college career for me. So out of curiosity, what was it that you were studying in college? So not writing even a little bit. Um, yeah. I, was actually, I was actually an acting major in college. And then about halfway through, I added um, psychology to my course load. So I was studying human behavior basically from two different fronts, right? So I was learning how to perform human behavior and then learning about the inner workings of it at the same time. My main profession is I'm a therapist now. I I went to grad school, but I think it really helped me learn how to create characters from a different perspective. And that's when I was really so much more interested in writing because I felt like I had a much deeper basis on how to craft characters and how to really just relate to people as well. So then what was your first kind of go at that? Was it a short story? Because like you did say that Silver Wheel Press deals with anthologies. So do you yourself have a love for anthologies? I do. Um, Actually, The Children of Lear, before it was a trilogy, was a short story on an online anonymous forum. Um, They were running competitions for short stories where if you submitted Uh, The winner got like $25 gift card to Amazon or something small like that. And I was a broke college student who was absolutely in need of a $25 gift card. So I submitted a short story based on the prompt that they gave. And that short story actually turned into what would later be Daughter of the Deep, um, which is the first book of the trilogy, which I didn't feel like the story was over then either. And it became a full trilogy, but I love short stories. Um, I think that they're such a great way to just hone your craft and learn about, you know, short form and fast paced. Um, and yet it can still be really deep work. Um, so this last year we actually did a seven deadly sins, uh, anthology myself and six other writers. It's called a fate and fury. Um, just because I, I, I love, short stories as well and even though I like writing longer series as well um short stories were definitely my first go into it and I don't want to forget that 
I, I honestly, I'm a, I'm a sucker for anthologies too. Short stories, flash fictions. The first thing I ever wrote ever in life was a 300 word flash fiction called uh, No One Noticed the Bees. It was a very weirdly, Ooh. yeah, it was like a weirdly apocalyptical uh, little like short story that I made and actually put it on Reddit for the first time. And you already know I got decimated, but I loved writing. Um, and just everything about it is awesome because especially now in recent years, I feel like they're having a major comeback. I feel like six mm -hmm. years ago, they they were, it was like a really look almost looked down upon it was like almost like the knowledge that like oh short stories don't sell so there's no point in like writing or getting into them and it's just like yeah but they're awesome mm -hmm. you know the egg i don't know if you ever like heard of that short story called it the egg yes i mean short stories are are mythical in my in my eyes like they can really go a distance as far as like understanding very complex situations in a very short time frame I also think it's almost harder because when you have a lot of space, you have plenty of room to world build and to character build, right? You can make all these little choices. I think with flash fiction and short stories in general, it's so hard to cram in messages. You have to be so intentional with your words. And I think that that's a really important skill for writers that I'm, I'm glad is making a comeback because I do think it's a, it's a really beautiful way to just try pack as much of a punch in as short of a space as possible yeah i always compare it to um, to like painting like when you have like mm -hmm. those like big paintings and they look so incredibly detailed they only look like that because they're far out like when you go in on like the minute level it's like the the paint lines are actually a little blurry they're not as like mm -hmm. rigid or like insanely detailed as you thought it would be but like when you have a small little canvas your margin for error is zero you have to be yeah. direct. You have to know where your lines are going, how they go. There's no little fat. And I feel the same way for short stories. Mm -hmm. 500,000 word epics are amazing. But give me a 500 word short story on the same topic and I'm going to be way more aligned to the short story. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you referred to that um, in the sense of mythological as well, right? Because I do think when we look at the evolution of storytelling, right, it was sort of short form myths that really carried and oral traditions that, you know, people weren't sitting there for hours and hours dictating these long things. Um, and so I do think that there's a really human um, element to kind of that short fiction right? when it feels fantastical and it feels bigger than us when you just have that kind of short bite of a story. So I, I'm such a huge short story fan and, I love the way you characterize that. It does feel like mythological. Oh my god, yeah, I'm I'm a huge like history buff too. So like, especially like recently, I'm just getting like enamored by the whole like ancient society thing. But two mm -hmm. things that immediately popped into my head when you were talking about like the story of how the whole Amazon gift card thing. Did you win? Yes, I did actually. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had done two other stories for them that I didn't win. And then this one I did. And the feedback was really positive. And people were like, you could totally expand on that. And uh, I did because I fell in love with the world. And I was like, there's I, this is one thing I do want to take more room for and more space for. Well, then it kind of leads into like the obvious. How did the story develop? What is the children? Of course, without getting into too many spoilers, 
-hmm. you already know people the information that you need the links will all be in the description and the bio and the caption and the banners if you're watching this on youtube make sure to buy the book it is up now well worth the read the trilogy is up so you can go ahead and dive into the full story so make sure to do that well worth it children of lear give it a read but without giving into any, any spoilers how did the story develop so initially, the prompt for the short story actually was um, write about a blood feud of some kind and make it set in some type of seafaring setting. Um, so I am a really big mythology buff, right, if that hasn't already been established. Um, and the first thing that came to mind for me was sort of like a Romeo and Juliet um, family feud and having... A couple in the sort of center of that, navigating that. And of course, I love Welsh myths. So there is the story of Lear, which is a Welsh god of the sea. Um, and I kind of tried to incorporate that into it. Um, but the first book itself is really in the aftermath of this blood feud between the two main families, right? The Branwins and the Mathenwees. And Kira, the main character, um, is really grieving over the death of her father, right? She believes that um, the person that she thought was her childhood best friend and sort of crush killed him, right? So she believes Ronan was the one who killed her father. That's what sparked this whole blood feud. And the council of the island that they live on decides that they're putting an end to it, right? It's having too much of a destructive impact on their society. So they suggest that they unite the clans to sort of end the feud. And of course, that looks like an arranged marriage this in this time period. So Kira's actually um, required to marry the person that she was totally in love with as a child and a young adult and the person that she also thinks killed her father. Um, and of course, chaos ensues. Ronan uh, professes his innocence, right? And there's a whole lot of twists and turns that I won't get into because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But that's sort of the premise. And it grew from there into a trilogy. Oh, my God. So then how did you develop the mythical aspects of it, the history of it? Was it something that you started just tearing apart through like that type of historical period, getting into documentaries, or was it more that you wanted to focus on the fantastical aspects of it? So you kind of went with your own information and then kind of went along with the rest. Yeah, no, it's definitely my own interpretation. It's not historical fantasy, so it's not um, placed specifically in a time period, right? It's in its own sort of alternate world, but pulling from heavily uh, the myths that... Um, I really loved, right, some broader Celtic mythology, but mostly that Welsh um, footprint, just because I don't think it gets enough recognition, right? I, mm. I feel like I see a lot of Greek retellings. I feel like I see a lot of Norse retellings. And, and I think Celtic mythology is so weird and wonderful that I wanted to find ways to sprinkle that in, right? So a lot of the um, religion of the island and a lot of the gods are referenced and have a larger part of it. Um some of the mythical creatures that are in the mythology um, get referenced throughout the series. So I really wanted to use that reference material, but then also it is its own world and make it its own thing as well. Now, I guess I fall in that into, into like that 
little hole there because I also hugely love Norse and Greek and Roman mythologies, but don't know too much about the Celtic, if, I, if I'm being completely honest. Mm -hmm. What would you say is what differs? What is it that calls to you about the Celtic mythology versus the other ones? I love that there are so many different interpretations of Celtic myths, right? So when you look at Welsh, Irish, and just broader Anglo-Saxon mythology, they had, for some reason, so many different versions of the same things. And it's because, you know, there were different, you know, cultural pockets. I feel like what I also respect about some of these other myths, it's right, there is almost this canon in the mythology, right, around certain gods where everybody was kind of telling the same stories. Whereas what's so cool about Welsh is they were all kind of telling their own version at the same time. Um, and I love that sense of, you know, mystery even within that, right? Which version is the the real version? And I think that's what lends it to fantasy so well is that I can pick moments from different interpretations and kind of weave together my own narrative of how it all interacts. Now, that is really interesting because I've always considered that mythology in just its own sense is a, hundreds of people's different point of views on like an event mm -hmm. that happened globally. So mm -hmm. the fact that Celtic is even divided between that kind of does lend itself for like really interesting storytelling because everything is a point of view, you know? Like, yeah. And when you think about it, it's that's such a small area of the world geographically. So the fact that we have so many different interpretations on a relatively small island, right? The, the UK and, you know, that Celtic area is not a very large geographical map. Um, whereas, you know, when you think of the Greek and Roman Empire really sprawled a much larger space so you'd think that there'd be more differentiation in across a, a wider spread area but no I think it's so interesting that essentially these people were all living on top of each other but because they were so nomadic and the tribes and all of that right it was so convoluted and there's so many different arguments even between those facets so I, I thought it was such a a really cool um mythology and it, it added that whimsy for it to me that I just I loved and I wanted to represent well and again I with my limited knowledge of Celtic like lore one thing that always interested me is I've always been fascinated by like shamanism like just like that mm -hmm. type of like spirituality and how like they were yeah. like the leaders of like their respective cultures at the time from what I understand, Celtic is the only one that like dabbled in like Druidism, right? Mm -hmm. Why? And it it, it led to a great question because shamanism is global. Every mm -hmm. every society dabbled with shamanism, but like you said, one little island off the coast of what we consider now Europe is somehow dabbling with Druidism. Why? How did that even come to happen? I don't know, right? I'm not I'm not that deep into the history, but I do think it's so interesting that their interpretations are really different from other places in the area during those time periods. So I think that is a really cool question. And I'd love to know the answer if there are any historians out there that that have it. <laughs> well, I was more asking from like um a writing standpoint, right? Like the, mm. to me, the difference between shamanism and like Judaism was that like Judaism was more like animal than like nature-based, right? Well, I guess mm -hmm. shamanism is as well, but I guess there's more like elemental. Again, very mm -hmm. rough knowledge that I have about this type of stuff. From that type of standpoint, 
like and also the the banshee myth also comes from celtic lore as well right so they kind of like have like a deep like feeling of like spirits and like fucking like other worlds and whatnot mm-hmm. it just like makes me wonder like how did that also go with druidism and did you develop any of that type of like mythicism into your book directly yeah so i think you hit it on the head right it is a very elemental and nature-based um mythology right so there are again some creatures that i bring in um so i don't know if you've heard of it right but the keffeldweer is a mythological fey seahorse right that they lure people into rivers and and springs and oceans right um sort of steal their soul right and i think that there's a lot of that kind of spooky not quite natural but supernatural um mythology within the lexicon right um like you said banshees right or even just the uh the the fair folk in general and i think that's where a lot of like arthurian and um fey lore gets its sort of origin so my series doesn't actually use fey terminology but it's more just the the pre-origin some of those stories that kind of inspired other um mythologies you know in general but i do think it's a very cool blend of natural and then supernatural as well I have never really gotten like so in depth about like the more mythical aspects of the fantasies now, but now that we're talking about it, I don't understand how I haven't like just like focused more around it because it is absolutely phenomenal. But considering that, do you think that, especially considering your love for Celtic lore, do you ever think that you'll go into other realms of kind of like unpopular mm-hmm. lore, African lore? I, I honestly, I mean. I, I couldn't even think about the other ones. Australian, right? Australian, like, lore around that time frame was pretty, like, nuts, too. Yeah. I mean, I love different interpretations. I absolutely could see myself branching into the other mythologies um, later in different works and stuff. Um, at the same time, I always want to be really cognizant of making sure that I'm not, like, appropriating any cultures or stealing from cultures that I do not have any you know, claim to. Um, so I think that's where to, to kind of go back to anthologies, um, that would probably be a project where I would ask other authors to write as well, maybe from their own personal histories, their own voices, um, and add to maybe a great collect work. Um, that way I'm not necessarily stealing from cultures that I have no claim to as well, right? And I think that's a, a really important line that as a white author i have to be cognizant of Hmm. that is interesting well do you think that that level of care that you put into making sure that everything with the celtic lore is going to happen do you think it it will ever branch out into different genres do you ever think that you'll kind of stay within the celtic lore but then try maybe a, a young adult romance do you ever think that you'll branch off into maybe doing some comedy or or horror aspects of it but like within the because especially celtic i think lends itself to some really cool horror themes if you kind of like decided to like Mm -hmm. write about it do you ever think you'll branch out to other genres within that sphere of the celtic lore yeah and not to say that i'm only ever going to stick with celtic right um Mm. i do think just broader european is kind of open for lots of interpretation uh just because you know it's it's not as um 
culturally specific. I just mean, I never would never want to like take, um, a practice or a culture that is, you know, currently still has active, you know, participants and, and appropriate that. I think that there's a fine line between inspiration and appropriation. And I want to make sure that I'm being inspired by different things without taking it on and rebranding it as my own necessarily. Um, but that being said, I do think myself branching into other genres going forward. Um, this is new adult fantasy and that's sort of in that middle ground between young adult and adult. Whereas my next projects are definitely more on the adult side, right? I started this when I was in my early twenties and now I'm getting into my later twenties and it doesn't necessarily feel as impactful for me to write for younger audiences. So I do think as I'm growing up, my writing is growing up with me. Um, And although I don't necessarily see myself in the immediate future writing different genres, right? I, I do love my fantasy and romance and mythological um, retellings. I've actually been critique partnering for some friends that are more in the horror genre, and I'm loving reading that work. So I think it could be something eventually that I, I branch into, but, you know, that's, yeah, I got a lot of stuff on my plate before then. Well, I, I definitely get that. Now, one thing that I do love about the whole anthology series that you that you're going on with it's just how much it can branch off right Mm -hmm. now specifically when it comes to like the romance aspects of it as well how do you delineate like which one should have more influence on another like how do you know to focus more on the romance of of it more than the fantasy the fantasy more than the romance and then how do you actually gauge the romantic filter itself is it very hardcore erotica is it more just sensual love between one between one one another how do you treat that as well yeah I think that's honestly a important discussion to have because I do notice there's kind of real gray area in the genre right now where some authors are marketing some pretty like intense spicy content Mm -hmm fantasy to young adult readers and then vice versa people that are marketing it as romance and then it's like not actually romance so for my work I try to always put the fantasy first right because at the end of the day um that's the story I want to tell and it is plot driven and character um, but that being said I think that love is a really important part of most people's development and their stories. Um, I'm a couples therapist, right? So I get the the privilege of seeing people's love stories play out day in and day out. And I do know how important that is. So I think the fantasy really comes first. I want to build the world. I want to have a plot. And then the romance is woven throughout it. Um, and for this series, it kind of grew with the series I think in the first book the romance was maybe a little bit more on the forefront because that would be the part of the struggle that they were in right my characters dealing with their grief and dealing with the impact of everything that's happened and then allow themselves to really connect with each other I thought that was part of the plot really to unify and through that you know I think love was the avenue to do that Um, But then later on, right, as not to spoil things, other things came up and there was more importance. Um, It took a little bit of a seat. And that's not to say that it's not in the books at all. Right. But it wasn't 
as much of the uh, the focus. Um, so I do think that that's an important thing to just know what's more important for the story you're telling. That being said, also just really understanding the needs of the genre, right? So I do absolutely have some more romantic, intimate scenes in the books, but the way I try to go about it is not necessarily super vulgar or super detailed. I think that there is absolutely a time and a genre and a place for that, right, in the more erotica field, but that's not necessarily what I'm writing. And I totally respect and love authors who do write that, but that's not what this story is about. Whereas if I ever was going to just decide to write pure romance or pure erotica, right, I might be more detailed and more um, in your face about some of the exact specifics of those scenes, where in the Children of Lear specifically, the scenes are there. It's not like necessarily a cut to black either, but it's done in a way where it's not excruciatingly detailed and, you know, mm. with language that is really just in your face about it. It's more of a uh, poetic glance over the moment. Now, I do love everything that you said about that, because it, it is a conversation that I feel like is, is a little, I mean, when you consider a movie like The Notebook, there's no doubt that's a romance. But then arguably a movie mm-hmm. like Deadpool could be considered a romance because it's the main the character's main point of like action throughout the entire movie is a love for a person. They have mm-hmm. the scene where they meet each other, they fall in love. It's no question in your mind as uh, from the audience that they're in love. So like it puts the question of like where is where? Like what makes mm-hmm. a romance a romance and what and when is it considered something else? Um, and I do love that you put the the fantasy first because now that might be a little bit of my bias, but just mm-hmm. like when you put like this, it's almost like the Chuck E. Cheese thing. Like you, you go for the game to stay for the pizza. It's like you show up for like the monsters, but then you like stay for the relationships. And I think that's like mm-hmm. what uh, makes the story like really awesome and really like hit the heart, hit, hit home just like mm-hmm. perfectly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, considering that, and especially like to wrap up because we're getting to the end, unfortunately, this has been such an awesome conversation. I like just talking about myths and everything. But what would you say is the future for you? We've talked about like your possible projects that you might take on, but what is it that you see for yourself in the next, especially more, that the year is about to end? So to better change the question now that I think about it, because we actually are towards the end, time goes so fast now, it's unbelievable. What would you say you're the most proud that you've done this year? And then what mm-hmm. are you looking for towards next year that you want to do? Yeah, so this year, there's a tie for sure. Finishing Mother of the Moon, which is the last um, book in the series, and publishing that felt like such a huge accomplishment just because these characters and these books have been with me for almost four years now. Um, and to see that sort of chapter close um was absolutely so emotional and impactful and I was really proud of it um because you know I think I got in my head at points right it was one thing to publish one book it was one thing to publish two books but to finish a series really kind of helped me solidify my identity as an author um and then also uh, to reference again we did publish the first anthology for um Silver Wheel Press which is A Fate and Fury it's a Deadly Sin anthology And that was such a collaborative experience that as an independent author, I think there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to collaborate. So to have six other incredibly talented authors working with me 
that was such a fun treat. And I was really, really proud of the product we put out. So both of those projects and to publish both of them within the year feels really great. And I'm really proud of what 22, what 2022 held. Um, and then as for 2023, I'm really excited that I don't have necessarily anything on the schedule for release. Um, but I am writing another project already because I, you know, don't have any self-control. Um, and I'm looking forward to starting to tease some of that, right? I haven't even announced the title or anything. It's just being affectionately known as Project Shadow King, right? It's another, uses some uh, Greek and Latin references, but it's it's another, this would be my first step into adult fantasy. And it's really a lot of political intrigue and high fantasy and epic um, ideas, right? And I don't want to spoil much more out of that. So I'm excited to go back sort of into the drafting trenches and really just seeing where that that takes me in the new year. Man, that's awesome. So you said that you actually knocked out both of these books within one year? So Mother of the Moon, I've been writing for two years. Um, I started writing it back in 2021 when I was publishing Sister of the Stars, which is the second book in the series. Um, but I finished it at the beginning of this year and published it towards the end. And then the uh, Fate and Fury, the anthology, um, that was done totally within the span of, I think, eight months. Um, but of course, that was, I only had to write short stories for that. So it was a little easier to draft and then hop right into edits. And I obviously had other authors writing um, other stories in tandem. So yeah, both of those were within 2022. My God, you are a force to be reckoned with. I wish I had that. Uh, I don't even know. And out of curiosity, what are the, the word counts of each of those books? Oh, so Mother of the Moon is huge. It clocks in at about 182,000 words. Um, I imagined. Oh yeah. My God. It's, a, it's a big book. It took me, took me two whole years. Um, a Fate and Fury, the word count, I think, is about 120,000. But that's between eight stories. So I think the stories that I wrote are 13,000 each roughly. So much smaller. Um, and yeah, they're not as, not as chunky for sure. Oh God, you are a legend. That is unreal. Knocking out like, you know, Game of Thrones level volumes <laughs> yearly. That is unreal. That is phenomenal. I really do wish you all the best. It's been such a great conversation I love getting into myths, especially when I like start learning things that I haven't learned before. First time of hearing most of this Celtic stuff. And if you have been at all interested by any of this, and I don't understand how you possibly couldn't, make sure to follow her on Amazon. Hit the plus sign so you get the notification so you can be the first to find out when she drops her latest work. That's going to be well worth it. And of course, you can pick up any of the three books from a Children of Lear series out now. Also on Amazon, you can go ahead and follow her on Instagram as well so you can see the process of what everything she's doing and just be all in the know. Just don't be a creep. I'm going to have to start wearing that on a shirt. Just reach out and show as much support and po as possible, but just don't be the typical internet troll. Don't be negative. Just show support and love. And as always, um, I want to turn over to you and just say if there's anything that you want to talk about before going, anything that we haven't talked about yet, any shout outs that you want to give, Now's the time. 
Well, I just want to thank you for having me. This was such a fun experience. And thank you for letting me rant about random things. I think that's such a fun atmosphere when it really just feels like a conversation, not necessarily an anxiety-inducing interview. So I really appreciate this environment and the platform. Um, and also Silver Wheel Press is always looking for um, new submissions. Uh, there will be future anthologies to come and, you know, et cetera. So please consider following. And if you're an independent author as well and you need some support, um, my messages are always open for that. I love helping other authors sort of start their journey as well. I received a lot of free advice from some good friends when I was first starting out. Um, so I want to sort of pay that forward. So um, I'll echo, don't be a creep, but <laughs> you're welcome to be a friend. I'm, I'm definitely all over social media and happy to connect and communicate. Man, you're like really, really good at like slogans. You know what I mean? Just like saying certain things like rant and ramble. I can rename this entire podcast rant and ramble that's the entire essence of what we do here uh well, well you're welcome to you I'm, I'm, i might have to i might have to start drafting it up you know what i'll do it for your promos when i start doing that so check it out make sure that it'll, it'll be awesome well, ironic because the people listening will probably watch the promo in order to listen to this so they're going to be like what the heads are going to start exploding everywhere across the universe it's going to be our fault you just did that that's a, that's, a, that's a trope for the next story right there. And on that note, this is going to be the end of the podcast, AR's Tales, a.k.a. the ART Podcast. I've been AR, and I've been honored by having Lena over here to just chat and talk about the things that she loves, talk about her inspiration, motivations, and as always, pick up her damn book, stop playing. And we will be back next week with another author, another artist, and we're going to be talking about whatever it is that we're passionate about. And until then, peace. Out!